This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm excited to see you guys here. I just want to say... I sometimes even just like looking out at you guys, I'm just like reminded how much I love you guys, which I know it can be kind of weird. You're like, who is this lady telling me that she loves me? But I'll say it again. I've said it a million times. I do love you guys so much. And I'm so honored and blessed to be given the privilege to be with you guys and and for this morning even to help guide us and teach us um, from God's word. Um, So if any of you know a little bit about me. One of my weird little personality quirks, I guess, is I like to pick up a lot of different hobbies, okay? Like, I get really, really excited about random things. Like, when I, like, on TikTok, I saw these really cool girls, like, rollerblading, and I was like, they're, like, dancing and, like, doing all these turns. I was like, oh, that's me. Like, I I really wanted to rollerblade, and then, like, I would see, like, these girls, like, dancing on longboards, and I was like, that is completely me. I could be that girl, I could go viral on TikTok, but like literally I went on a longboard a couple weeks ago and like I fell, scraped my knee and I'm like, I'm done. So I mean, I will not be a dancing longboard chick, but the thing I'm always like wishing I was really, really good at is I wish I was a really good artist. Like I wish I could draw really well or like paint really well. Sometimes I like to pretend like I can really do that really well, but at the end of the day, I'm really not that good. I'm not very creative. But if any of you have, like, any artistic ability, I just know that I'm very jealous of you. Like, I live with a roommate who is very creative and artistic, and it irritates me, and I love her, but it irritates me because she's so good at it. Um, Do we have any art fans in the room? Anyone who's like, I would say I like to draw, paint, even look at museums. Not look at museums, go to museums. <laughs> yeah, I really know a lot about art, guys. You just look at museums and you get it all in here. But do any of you like even like going into a museum and like walking around and like pretending like you really know what's happening? Like you see like this splash of color and you're like, ah, yes, that speaks to the poverty of 1800s. I knew exactly what that meant. Like all that time, I think I would just like to pretend, go to a museum and pretend I really am super like knowledgeable about art. Uh, But this morning, actually my artistic roommate, Kaylee, has helped me with a little exercise for us. So I have a little picture on the screen. Does anyone know what this is? Anyone know? You can yell it out. Well done! Look at you, little art nerds. Good job. It's the Sistine Chapel. So looking at that, it looks pretty cool, you know. I'm like, wow, that's like pretty impressive. Like thumbs up to whoever did that. Actually, Michael- Michelangelo painted all of the little paintings and all the little scenes that you see in there. And um, there's a couple of interesting things about Michelangelo. And even as he was going about painting the Sistine Chapel, so this whole project to paint inside all these different frescoes, all these different scenes, took about like four years to paint. So I can't really imagine like painting something for that long, like sticking to something for like four years. Like imagine like being a freshman and then going like all throughout senior year and you're still painting the Sistine Chapel. Like that's how long he took. Um, all of this took like, it was like about 5,000 
square feet, I think, of like all the details of like, what he ultimately painted. And the things he went through to paint this are kind of extraordinary. So he had permanent uh, eye damage like after all of this, because he was like moving in like different ways, like as he was like in scaffolding, so he'd have to like contort his body in different positions that were pretty uncomfortable and pretty awkward. And so he was left with these lasting effects of all of this. And then he comes across, and then we see this. And so like even as I learned more about Michelangelo these past couple of weeks, or even like understood what he went through to paint the Sistine Chapel, I was able to like look at it again and be like, oh, like that's actually way more impressive than I thought it was. Like there's a lot more that went into it than like what I originally thought. Because once I was studying the artist and knew what he was going through, I was able to understand the art. I was able to understand the creation of what was happening. I could like see it through like new eyes. Like I could see the value attached to that piece of art because I knew what the artist went through and who the artist was, and it allowed me to really look at the art in a new way, in a new, fresh way. So in that same way, I want us to do that as we look at the Psalms today. So we're going to look at a Psalm, Psalm 139. And this is kind of what and the psalmist, David, so David writes this Psalm, and this is kind of what David does in this Psalm, is he praises God for who he is. And then as we learn more about God and praise God for who he is, we're able to look and learn more about ourselves. So as David spends a lot of time praising God's character in this, in Psalm 139, and in turn, as he praises God more and learns more about who God is, we're able to see a clear picture of who we are from that. As we learn more about God, we learn more about ourselves. So starting off in Psalm 139, we're going to start in verse 1. And so in this first chunk, we're going to see David praising God for being all-knowing, or knowing everything. So starting off, if you have your Bibles, grab them. It's also going to be on the screen. So starting in verse 1, it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and laying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you, know your, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So first, as we see David praising God for knowing him, for being all-knowing, we see David, as he's praising God for being all-knowing, it's always about this like personal relationship. The way he's praising God and proclaiming that God is all-knowing, it's all done in a way that shows how God is so personable and close. It's all about these, this relational language is used constantly throughout this part of Psalm and also just the rest of the Psalm altogether. It's all about describing this God who is close, who's very personal, who's very intimate with his creation. And we see that even with the language used, you have searched me. That first phrase, you have searched me, searched. It's this active word. It's not this passive word. It's showing that God is actively knowing, actively searching. He's not just laying about doing nothing, but he's actively searching for you, for David. And we also see it's in the past. 
this past tense. The verb is past tense, searched. We see that the Lord has already done this. You have already searched me, Lord. You already have. And the next song that we see, and you know me. That word know is really, really important for us. And it was cool if some of you are in first service, um, Jeff talked a lot about this word, about knowing God. Um, and so if, again, this is just a reminder, if you guys don't go to the big service, man, I encourage you guys to be a part of that. There is some really good, wise teachers teaching us. And so if you're there this morning, you have a better picture. But anyway, back into it. Uh, that word know is very relational. To know someone is very relational. It's not just informational, okay? So it's not just knowing a lot of facts about someone. It's not knowing about them. It's this deep personal knowing. Like, I know a lot about maybe, like, Taylor Swift or, like, Harry Styles, but if you asked Taylor or Harry, I'm on personal, you know, first name basis with them, um, they, they, uh, they'd be like, do you know Betsy? Betsy knows a lot about you. They'd be like, who is that? Or Harry would be like, who is that? I don't know. He'd probably be really nice. He'd probably be like, oh, yeah, I know her. But, like, it's not enough to just know a lot about someone, a lot about, like, their information or facts about them. This word know is pointing to knowing them deeply. It's this relational. It's these experiences that they have. It's this personal relationship of knowing, of God knowing David at this level. So I want us to think of people in your life that maybe know you really well. Not just know facts about you, but know you really, really well. Um, and as I was thinking this week about being known or having people know me, um, I was thinking of, like, how does it feel when someone knows me, okay? Like, how does it feel when someone knows, really knows me? And the first word that, like, popped into my brain was, like, warm and fuzzy. Like, for someone just to, like, know you on, like, a personal and relational level, so, like, the other week, I was having a bad day in the office. I was, like, something was, like, causing me to be really sad, and I was just, like, kind of down. And Adam went to go get Starbucks with a friend, and then he comes back, and he gives me a misto. He's like, here, this is for you, because you're having a bad day. Like, Adam knew that I was having a bad day, so he knows me on a personal level, and he also knows that my go-to order at Starbucks is a misto. So, like, knowing that, like, Adam going out of his way to give me a cup of coffee to brighten my day shows that, like, Man, he just knows me and he gets me. And that just gives me like this warm, fuzzy feeling of being known. I think sometimes when we're known, we get that warm, fuzzy feeling from someone, if they just know you. Then there's also this other side of being known, of being like seen, or almost even being called out, okay? So I thought of even like conversations that I have with my mom, if I'm like venting to her, or if I'm going through something frustrating, I'm talking to her on the phone, and she's like, hey, wait a second, Betsy. Uh, your tone is really, really angry. Like, you need to check your heart a little bit. I don't think you're coming from the right place here. You're kind of interpreting this in the wrong way. She's kind of like calling me out and keeping me accountable. And that's also showing that she knows me. So this being known can give you these warm, fuzzy feelings. But it can also be this healthy pointing or keeping you accountable of being known, of knowing your habits, and even knowing if you're going in the wrong path. And David this whole time is praising God for knowing him in this way. Praising God for knowing him in this deep relational way. And God doesn't just know David in this deep personal way. 
He also knows each of us in this deep way, too. He knows each of us. God knows you. Not just you, but also everyone in this room and also everyone outside of this room. So God has this huge, he's so big that he knows all of us in this deep level, which is crazy. And when you think about it, it's kind of like overwhelming of God being that all-knowing. And so he's praising God for this. And I think that's a good response for us to have, is just to praise God for who he is, of being all-knowing, of knowing us in that deep level and knowing everyone on that deep level. So we see that's the first way that David praises God for who he is. And the second way we see, starting in verse 7, and we see David praising God for being everywhere or for being present everywhere. So picking up in verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light, and the light became night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So David at this part is praising God once again for being everywhere and for being present in all circumstances and in all places. And we see it right at the very beginning in verse 7. We first see David share this desire to run. It's like, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? This desire to run probably comes from just overwhelm of who God is, of being everywhere and knowing everything. And this isn't the first time in scripture where we see someone have those moments with God, having this desire to run or to hide from him. We see this in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. We see this with Jonah a lot. We see this like with lots of people everywhere. So this is a human quality that some of us have. Upon knowing more about God, we have this desire to hide or to run from him. We see this fear to flee. But the thing is that I think is really cool is the thing that caused fear of God knowing everything and being everywhere turned quickly to comfort David. So it caused him to fear, turns to comfort, when he realizes how good of a God he is. That God is everywhere and that there is no place too low or too dark for God to be. God can meet us in any circumstance. And what I love about this, it shows us that God doesn't abandon us. That God didn't abandon David and that God will not abandon us. There's no place that we can hide from him. There's no place too far or too dark. God is able and willing to meet us in any circumstance that we face in our lives. So rightly so, David is praising God for being present in every place and in every situation. And then the last bit, we see David praise God for being the creator for being creator. And that's found in verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you 
When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So in this section, David is praising God for being creator. And again, we still see the language used is very intimate and very caring and loving and relational. As we study God being the creator, we can see his creation, us, in a new and fresh way. It should change how we see ourselves and other people as we see God being described as creator. And we see in the even in the very beginning, this whole thing is just filled with so much detail in the wording. The poetry used is just painting this beautiful picture of just how much intent is going into creating us. And if so much intent and detail and care were gone into this creation, that shows that there's value attached to it, that there's value in us because of how God made us with so much care and detail, just of how our brains were formed, all of the craziness of our bodies. Scientists, people spend years of their life studying just how the body works. And for God to be that specific and that detailed in his creation shows that he values us, that there is value attached to us. And the verse that I really, really love, or just the phrase, I feel like maybe you guys have heard it before, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That fearfully and wonderfully, man, that's such a good description of like how we're made. That there's so much purpose attached to our creation. And can I just make a comment here? That our value as human beings, this value that God placed on us because he took so much time and care in creating us, our value of, as human beings is much deeper than the external looks, okay? It's so much deeper than external looks. We can't place our value based on if we meet the beauty standard of the day. Beauty standards change, like, all the time. So there's no way that we could meet any of them, and honestly, they're pretty impossible and fake. So that's just my little rant. But... Our value as human beings is not in how we look. It's so much deeper and so much greater. Our God made us to glorify him, to be bodies to praise him, to show who he is, to be his image bearers. It's not just the external looks. It's so much bigger and greater. And that is worthy of praise, of God creating us with so much love and so much detail, and so much purpose. Our God is so good, and he loves us so deeply. He knows us so well. He is present, so he won't abandon us, and he sees great value in each of us. So after David takes this time to just take a moment and a pause to praise God for all of these things, for who God is, we then see him respond to this. And that's found in verse 19. <coughs> Sorry, as I'm getting over a cold. But in verse 19, we see David's response. 
If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. So I feel like David's response is like a quick dart, like a shift. Like reading that, you're like, oh man, fluffy language, so nice. And then he's like, David's like, if only you'd slay the wicked. It's like, wow, okay, here we go. Like David does like this deep turn. And so we see this response of David. And we get this new tone in the rest of this psalm, in this section. We see, we get a glimpse into David's heart of where he's coming from. First, he's rightfully praising God, and then he's letting God know where he's at in this moment. So in this section, if you were to take some of these verses out of context, there would be a whole different interpretation, okay? So these verses are probably not verses that you see on like a wooden calligraphy sign. People aren't like tattooing, I have nothing but hatred for them, I count them my enemies like nicely on their like forearm. But all together, we get a really good picture of where David is coming from, and we can gain understanding and wisdom from this. So again, this is just a caution, one, to really look at the context of passages that you come across in Scripture. Always look at the context surrounding where you're learning from, because if we were to take some of these out, there would be a whole lot of issues there. But all together, we can see a clearer picture of where David was coming from. And ultimately, we can see how scripture matches with this psalm. So again, David does a lot here that we can imitate, okay? David's response and how he models for us in this passage, we can imitate as well. So the first thing that, that is good of David is that David is very honest about the depths of his feelings and circumstances. Man, I feel like this whole summer in the Psalms, I feel like I've heard it over and over again. I feel like that was almost like the theme, is like to be honest with God of where you're coming from, to be honest with your feelings. Psalms are filled with just raw emotion, and those are good to bring to God, to not try to hide your feelings or say the right church Jesus answer but to be really raw and open with God. And David is modeling this really, really well, even when it seems harsh. But I think as we read this, we can relate to David a little bit. We can be in his spot and see, man, I felt those feelings too, honestly. Where I've been so frustrated with the world or other people, and it just feels like I'm in this dark pit where there's just darkness surrounding me. So that's good of David to be that open and honest and vulnerable with us so that we can relate to him and ultimately imitate it so we can also do the same to God, that we can also be vulnerable and open to God. And the next thing we see David being is David is very loyal to God. We see a lot of his frustrations are coming from God's name being misused and God being disrespected in the community that he's in. And that angers David, and that's justified anger for David to have in this moment, to see that God, his savior, his king, is being disrespected. 
So he is justified in some of this anger. To have God's name be rightfully worshipped and glorified, that is a good thing. And I think that's a good check for us to even ask ourselves, do we ever get bothered or are we rightfully angry or justified in our anger if God is being disrespected around us, if God's name is being used in vain, or if his character or who he is is being shamed or disrespected or just thrown in the dirt, our response should also cause us to be a little uncomfortable with those situations if we're a follower of Christ, if we claim that God is our king. We should also strive to make his name be great and his name also be holy and respected. And the last thing, and I think it's the most, the most important thing and where I want us to land this morning is David is submitting to the Lord. And we see this in verses 23 through 24. I'm just going to read it again because the, these two verses, man, these are so good to live by. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of, of everlasting. So we see David, after just like bearing his soul, David has this moment where he turns to God again and he's like, man, search me and know me. Test me in my anxious thoughts. See if there's any ill will in me. The end is asking for God to reveal any wrongdoing in his heart. David is asking, after just pleading his case, being vulnerable and open with God, he's then asking God, hey, reveal things in my heart and in my life where I'm wrong too. Because I see how evil this is, and I want no part of that in my own heart. So Lord, I ask you to search me and to reveal things in my own heart and mind, and, in, and if my feelings are wrong, reveal them to me, make them known to me, cut them off from me, Lord. Even the verbs he uses are very just powerful of what he wants God to do. He wants him to search, to know, to test, to see, and to lead. David is asking for God to keep him accountable. He's, he's saying that he's not above that, you know. He's putting himself right in the same place as these other people he's talking about. He wants God to reveal anything in his heart or in his life that is wrong. And he's even allowing for this moment to even be like, maybe I'm the problem here, God. Maybe I'm the issue. God, lead me. Teach me. Show me ways that I need to improve as well. And I want this to be our, our closing thing today. And in a couple of moments, I'm even going to have us pray this in our own hearts or in our own minds. But what I love about these last two verses, this last sort of push, and it just becomes full circle from the beginning. Because we see the same words, even search and know, are used again in the last verses as in the first. But we see a shift, like a difference in these last couple of verses. Whereas in the first verse, we see this past tense searched. But in 23, we see this search, this present we see David inviting the search to begin once again. He's inviting this moment for God to reveal in his heart once more, to show God, to show 
to, show, to have God show him any ways that he needs to change or that things that he needs to move forward to. And this is a really good prayer for us to hold on to. It's also a really bold prayer for us. There should be like this good sense of fear along with it because it's a big prayer. It's asking God to reveal hard things in our lives that maybe we've been trying to hide. It's asking God to reveal things that maybe we don't want to give up, that God is calling us to give up. It's asking God to test us, to test our anxious thoughts, to see if they stack up. It's this, it's this prayer of coming into the light rather than hiding away in the darkness. It's this prayer for God to search him again and the hopes of changing we see this last, the last very portion, and lead me in the way of everlasting. This prayer isn't just asking for, uh, for God to reveal parts in their minds and hearts that they need to change, but it's also this declaration of, God, please lead me in ways that I can change. It's taking actions. It's having those revelations, but then also moving in the right direction to God. It's expecting to change. And so I want us to take a couple of minutes, and I'm going to read these two verses over us. And I want us to prepare our hearts to ask God, in a similar way as David did, to search us and to reveal any things in our own hearts, in our own minds, that we need to change in order to remain close to him, in order to follow after him to grow closer to him so that we can praise his name and just see how a wonderful God he is, how deeply he loves and knows us, how he won't abandon us, and how he is willing, even if it's hard, to reveal the hard parts of our lives. So will you guys pray with me? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, I pray that that could be the prayer of our hearts, Lord. That each of us have this desire to cut off parts of ourselves that are wicked or evil so that we can be pruned by you, so we can be made to glorify you, Lord, because, Lord, you love us so deeply and you want the best for us, Lord. And I pray that we're a people that seek a relationship with you, to abide in you, and to remain close to you, Lord. Lord, I pray and I worship you, and all of us do, Lord. And I pray, even as we close in a song of worship, Lord, I pray that this is the praise of our hearts, that it's authentic worship, that it's not just words that we just sing, but it can be a praise that comes from the depths of our hearts, that we seek to desire you in a true way. We seek to be a people that love you, and choose you, Lord, above all else. 
We love you for this day. We love you for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chaplain Green. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.